0: Well, as Susan mentioned, I am a professor at California Baptist University, and I feel very blessed that I have a job that I love. I love that I get to hang out, spend my days with 18 to 22 year olds. And while I love being in the classroom and teaching, some of my favorite days aren't the days that I'm up there lecturing, but it's the days that my alumni come back and visit me. I tell them all the time, It is such. it warms my heart to when the alumni, they graduate, they go off, they get real jobs, enter the real world, and then they come back and they check in and tell me how things are going. But a few years ago, one of my colleagues noticed that as we were interacting with these alums, that many of them were undergoing a kind of a crisis of faith, Many of our students are Christians and they would go out into the real world and they would start having some questions about how their faith, what their faith looks like when they are no longer in what we often call the CBU bubble. And the problem was, was that they weren't questioning the validity of the Bible. They weren't questioning whether or not Jesus died and rose from the dead. The problem that they were facing is they would go out into their jobs, into their communities, and being a Christian was no longer easy. They would be faced with difficult decisions in their workplace about standing for Christ when everybody else was against Him. They were facing difficult decisions about how to use their finances in such a way that it honored God. And as they faced these hardships, as they faced this persecution from no longer being in this kind of safe cocoon of living a life for Christ, they begin to question the validity of their faith. And the question came from the fact that, that what they had heard, the message that they had internalized, was that God loved them and wanted great things for their life. And that was true. God does love them and want great things for their life. But the problem was their definition of great things and God's definition of great things were radically different. They thought when it was told to them, God loves you and want great things for their life, that they would have, things would be easy. It would be easy to live for Christ. And they found that it was hard, that there would be people who were against them, who opposed them, simply because they named the name of Jesus. And although they did not experience nearly the extent of persecution and affliction that the Christians and Thessalonians did, in our passage today, we see that the Thessalonians had a similar issue. So if you haven't already, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter one. We're gonna pick it up in verse five and read through verse 12. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 12 starts with, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now you have to ask yourself, because Paul, we, we pick up this passage kind of in the middle of Paul's thought, what is the this that Paul is referring to? Well, you may remember from two weeks ago when Stephanie taught about the need to give affirmation and encouragement. She talked about, in verse 4, it talks about that the Thessalonians were in undergoing persecutions and afflictions. Paul was affirming their steadfastness in faith, but he was affirming their steadfastness in faith in difficult times. They were being opposed for the sake of Christ. And he says this, this opposition that you're experiencing, this persecution and hardship that you're experiencing, it is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Thessalonians, I know you're being afflicted right now, but God considers it just. Those who are afflicting you are going to be repaid for that affliction that they're causing. And you Thessalonians, God is going to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Now, if you're the Thessalonians, you're probably thinking, Paul, that's not what happened. That is not what is happening. We are still being persecuted. We don't see relief anywhere in sight. And Paul tells them when that's gonna happen. It says, It's going to happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And then he continues the description in verse eight: in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And what is going to happen to those, those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel? Verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to do what? To be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And then what should the Thessalonians do to this end? Because this is happening, we always pray for you. We always pray for you, Christians in Thessalonia, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I said, Paul starts in our passage, he starts by referencing this affliction that the Thessalonians are enduring. He starts by going back and remembering you are being steadfast in your faith, but you are undergoing hardship. And what it seems to be happening here is the Thessalonians were thinking, well, God loves me. If I'm a Christian, why should I be going, undergoing persecution? Why should be I undergoing Affliction Is this evidence of God's condemnation in my life? And Paul turns that thought on its head and says, no, this isn't evidence of condemnation. This is evidence of commendation. This is evidence of the worthiness of your walk with Christ. This is evidence of the fact that you are being obedient to God. And what Paul was telling them is, if you are suffering as a Christian, if you are being opposed because of Christ, that is something that shouldn't cause you to question your relationship with God. That should affirm your relationship with God. Because you know what Christians, you know what Thessalonians, your savior suffered. And if you follow your savior, just like they persecuted him, they will persecute you. John 16:33, Jesus made it very evident that the Christians, those who followed faithfully after him, should expect difficulty. In this world you will have trouble. That wasn't a conditional statement. That wasn't a maybe you will have trouble. It was a promise that Jesus told those who followed after him. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. And in the same way the Thessalonians needed to remember that God, Christ himself, has promised that they would be afflicted and they would be persecuted as they faithfully obeyed him. And what they needed to do and what you and I need to do is point one, we need to expect to suffer for the sake of Christ. We need to expect to suffer for the sake of Christ. The problems that my alum have when they go out into the world and they're afflicted and persecuted for their faith is that it catches them by surprise. They're, they're astonished that this would happen. And what they need to do and what we need to do is we need to recognize god has said this will happen god has said that we should expect to suffer for his sake we should expect to suffer because we call ourselves children of god because we are faithfully following him but god doesn't just say that you are going to suffer he says that suffering is actually going to be used for good in your life James 1.4 reminds us that persevering under trial, persevering under hardship and difficulty, God uses that to make us mature in Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, Peter reminded those he was writing to, that Christian suffering would produce a sincere faith. It would be the fire that made their faith strong, that made it pure, that God would use that suffering for his sake in order to accomplish growth and maturity in their lives. And because the early church knew that they should expect suffering, do you know what their response was to it? Acts 5:41 tells us we haven't gotten quite there yet on the weekends, but Acts 5:41 tells us how the apostles responded to the suffering that they endured because they were Christians. It says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. They considered it a badge of honor, a badge of honor that they suffered because they called themselves Christian because they were Christians. They said, my savior was killed on a cross. He died on a cross for me. And if I can suffer for his sake, if I can align myself with him in his suffering and in his persecution, that is something that is a privilege. That is something that is an honor that I get to do. And ladies, you and I should also rejoice when we suffer for the cause of Christ. We need to expect that suffering is going to happen. And we need to rejoice when it does happen, when it happens because we claim the name of Jesus, because our savior was persecuted and afflicted. And when we undergo the same thing for his sake, that is a privilege and an honor. The concern for the Thessalonian Christians wasn't just that they were suffering though, They weren't just concerned with the fact that they were afflicted and persecuted. Obviously, that was something that was hard and that they had to endure and persevere under. But they had a secondary concern, which was this. They were suffering, but those who are causing their suffering, those who are persecuting them, they seem to get off scot-free. Look with me in verse six of our passage. Verse six talks about what is going to happen to those who are afflicting them. It says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now imagine again, you're these Thessalonians and you're looking around and you're suffering, you're being persecuted, and those who are causing that harm in your life, they seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing well. They don't seem to be experiencing God's judgment at all. But Paul tells them, remember, those who afflict you, God considers it just God considers it right to repay them with affliction. And for you, you Thessalonians who are suffering, he considers it right and just to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. But that day isn't today. That's not gonna happen in the here and now. That's gonna happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels There is going to come a day when Jesus will come down in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. His justice will be complete on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And what will happen then? What will that complete outpouring of Christ's justice be for those who oppose him? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. But for you, you saints who are following after Christ, on that day he will be glorified in his saints and he'll be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. In other words, Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians that their current circumstance is not their permanent condition. They may be undergoing hardship and persecution now because of their allegiance to Christ. But one day, all will be made right. One day, they will experience the just rewards of a life that is lived, sold out to Christ. And one day, those who persecute them, those who oppose Christ, will experience the just punishment of a life lived in opposition to him. And what the Thessalonians needed to do, and what you and I need to do, when we are experiencing that persecution, when that relief that we're looking for doesn't come, we need to make sure that we don't stop depending upon God. Point two, don't stop depending upon God. Paul takes the Thessalonians and he takes their eyes and he says, stop looking at what's going on here and look forward to that day. Put your eyes, put your focus on that day where Jesus will come back and you will experience eternal relief and those who oppose Christ will experience eternal destruction. And in the meantime, because you know that God is faithful and true, you keep trusting him. You know that that is a promise that Jesus will come back and make all wrongs right. And so you, Thessalonians, you keep depending upon God. You keep trusting God. You keep relying on Him for relief. That might not come now, but there will be a day where it will come. It's interesting that that word in verse 6, that God will repay with affliction those who afflict you. That word repay is the same word that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 3.9 when he talked about the fact that when we experience God's blessings, when those who are Christ followers experience his blessings, that our response to God should be to repay him with thanksgiving. That the appropriate and just right response is to give thanksgiving back to God. And Paul here uses that same word to make the point that the appropriate and just response to those who oppose Christ is eternal punishment that the the appropriate and just response to those who are persecuting Christians, who never come to a place of repentance and faith is for eternal damnation, that they will be afflicted. And that is the appropriate and right response for God to have on their lives. And it also is the appropriate and right response. It is the act of God's justice to repay those who are afflicted, those who are being persecuted with relief. He's going to repay the afflicted, afflict those who afflict with affliction, and he goes, he's going to repay those who are afflicted with relief. And that is God's justice being on display. And I think it's important to recognize that what the Thessalonians needed to remember is that God is just. God's justice wasn't just something that he was only going to met out at the end of time. That's where his full justice will be on display, but God is just even amidst their affliction. God doesn't take days off from being just, it is who he is, it's in his very character. So even as they're undergoing hardship and persecution, even as they're undergoing difficulties and afflictions, God is still just. God is still just, even when it seems, even when we may not experience his complete justice in that moment, God is playing the long game. And he will fully and righteously one day display his justice on those who persecute the Christians, on those who oppose Christ, and also he will give the just rewards to those who are faithful to follow him. And ladies, we need to take both the reward and the punishment seriously. We need to make, we often, I, at least in my own life, I know what I often think about is, okay, I'm, underdoing, I'm undergoing this, I'm enduring this, I'm persevering because I'm looking forward to the reward that God has promised to those who love him. And that is wonderful. That is a great promise to hold on to as we keep depending upon God. But we also need to take the punishment that those who oppose Christ, we need to take that punishment seriously because God makes it clear there is no equivocation in this passage about what those who afflict Christians will experience. There is no, as my mommy say, if, ands, or buts, they will experience eternal punishment, eternal damnation, separation from God forever. And if that doesn't stop us, if that doesn't cause us to work hard to reach people for the cause of Christ, I don't know what will. Pastor Mike, if you were here on the weekend or you listened to this weekend sermon, he made it very clear that we need to take seriously our job to evangelize. That should be our focus as followers of Christ. And what should motivate us is to think about the consequences of those who die and who have never come to repentance and faith, those who die living in opposition to Christ. Ladies, you, your life can be used by God to help snatch people from the fires of hell. How amazing is that? God can use us and our trust in Him our an ongoing dependence upon Him. He can use our lives to bring people to redemption and faith in Him. Let us make sure that we keep trusting in Him, that we don't stop depending on Him, that we put our eyes on the end of time, that we think about the day where Jesus will come again, and we recognize that we will experience relief and that we work hard so that even more exp- people will experience the rewards of a life lived in faithful obedience to God. This, this problem that the Thessalonians were facing wasn't a new problem. This idea of, Lord, I'm, looking out, I'm suffering and it looks like everyone around me, all those who are persecuting are prospering. This wasn't something that was new. You might be thinking about in Psalm 94, where the psalmist repeatedly asks, how long, O Lord, how long shall the wicked prosper? How long shall they exalt? And then the psalmist ends by reminding us that the Lord is a stronghold and a refuge. But I actually wanna turn you to another psalm, a psalm that I don't think we often think of when we think of being afflicted and persecuted. And that psalm is Psalm 37. If you would take the time and just turn to the passage, look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is written by David. And if you know much about David's life, you know that David was harassed and persecuted because of his faithfulness to God. And he starts the Psalm by telling people how to respond to wickedness, how to respond to those who do evil. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't you worry about those who are doing evil. Don't let that cause you concern. And don't be envious of those who do wrong. Why because their moment is short. They will soon fade like the grass and they will wither like the green herb. And then he says, but you, you who are following God, even as evil seems to prosper, this is what you should do. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Have you, have you realized that that passage, delight yourself in the Lord, we use it all the time. Often it's misappropriated to say, well, if you pray about something hard enough, God's gonna give you what you want. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is saying, when there's evil around you, when it seems like those who are doing wrong prosper, you do not find your comfort, you do not find your solace, you do not find your delight in your circumstances. You find it in God himself. You take your joy, you take your confidence and you place it in God. And as you do that, he will give you the desires of your heart. And think about it, if you're delighting yourself in God, if that is where your joy is, that is where your comfort is, and what is the desire of your heart then? Your desire is for more of God. And he has said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And when wicked is going on around us, when we're persecuted and afflicted for the cause of Christ, where do we need to find our comfort? Where do we need to find our joy? We need to find it in our heavenly Father. David continues in verses 12 and 13, where he talks about what the wicked are doing. The wicked are plotting against the righteous, and gnashes his teeth at him. But how does the Lord respond? The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. God knows the end of time, and he knows that that prosperity, that that moment, that the affliction, the those who afflict have power and authority, it's just for a time. They're only gonna be able to prosper for a moment. They're only going to be able to afflict and persecute for a short period of time. In the grand scheme of eternity, they are like grass. They will fade away. But what will happen to those who follow God? Verse 18, the Lord also knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever their heritage is secure. Those who are persecuting, those who are afflicting Christians, their time will last just for a moment. But the heritage of the righteous, those who are following after God, they are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. And their heritage, their reward, will last forever. Just like in the Psalms, And just like in the Thessalonian church, we need to make sure that we keep depending upon God, that we continue to trust in Him, both for our present situation and for our our eternal security. The Thessalonians had to look towards eternity and appreciate that obedience and faithfulness to God would one day be vindicated, that one day their obedience would would give them the rewards that a faithful life to Christ deserved, that one day they would experience the full measure of God's just repayment for their faithful obedience to him. And those who afflicted them, those who persecuted them, they also will one day experience the full measure of God's justice when they experience eternal punishment and damnation. And ladies, We need to remember the same. We need to remember that our time here on earth is short. The prosperity of the wicked is short. Those who afflict us can only persecute us for a short period of time, but eternity is forever. And we need to live our lives in light of our eternal destination. Or as I put it in point three, we need to make your life matter in eternity make your life matter in eternity. If you look with me in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, Paul tells the Thessalonians to this end, in light of eternity, because that day is coming where Jesus will one day return, we are always praying for you. We are always lifting you up to the throne room of God, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that at the name of our Lord Jesus, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thessalonians, Paul is telling them, this world is not your home. You're here for a brief period of time. What you need to do, what you need to do to respond to this affliction and persecution is you need to live your life in the here and now in light of the then and there, and you need to make sure your life matters for eternity, that you're making an eternal difference, that you are glorifying God by how you respond to this persecution and affliction. The Thessalonian Christians were growing con- discontent because of their current suffering and the seeming prosperity of their enemies. But Paul reminds them, your, their current situation isn't the end of the story. It's just a chapter of a very long book. And that they need to look beyond what they are currently experiencing and put their eyes on eternity and live their life in such a way that it would make a difference for God's kingdom. And ladies, we need to do the same. When we suffer for the sake of Christ, we need to remember that we are storing up treasures in heaven. And that not only are we storing up treasures by the fact that we are aligning ourselves with him, but how we respond, how we respond to that persecution and affliction can be used by him to make a difference for eternity. We should want all of our lives, every single aspect of our lives, including our response to suffering, to point people towards him. I had an, an interesting reminder a few weeks ago of how God can use our response to injustice in order to draw people closer to him. As I mentioned, I, I teach at a Christian school, but although it's a Christian school, we, you do not have to have a profession of faith to come to CBU, which is an amazing opportunity because I get people in my class who don't know Jesus and they're there to learn about marketing and management and I get to teach them about Jesus while I'm also teaching them about marketing and management. And so we like to say like, we're bringing the world to us rather than going into all the world. And it's awesome. We have people from all over the globe who come and sit in our classes who don't know Jesus. And for the most part, even though though those who are not Christians, they understand what they signed up for when they signed up to go to CBU, they expect that we are gonna integrate faith into our classrooms. They know that they have to go to chapel. And so even if they don't align themselves to Christ, they will listen and be respectful and be receptive as we talk about what our faith means. Except this year, I experienced something I never experienced before. I had a student who was very hostile to all things Christian and very opposed to anything having to do with God. And this student would come into my classroom late and I'm convinced it's because I do my devotions for the class at the beginning and they are trying to skip the devotions. But then circumstances, God's providence was over it and for some reason, I kept starting my devotions later and she had to sit through them because she tried to come in late and she didn't miss them and God said, ha, I got you, you're gonna sit here anyways. And so she decided that her response to that was going to be distract the class while I was doing devotions. That was what she, how she decided to deal with her hostility and anger. And as I tried to talk to her about it, she would have none of it. And she, in a very public, very emphatic way, made it clear that she did not want to hear from me, that she did not want to be exposed to the things of God, and made a very adamant demonstration wouldn't even talk to me as I tried to have a conversation with her. And like I said, did, did so publicly. And what I'd love to tell you is that after, I it broke my heart, I'm, I'm gonna be really honest, it broke my heart, I cried over it. Because I love my students, I'm getting teary right now, I love my students, and obviously I'm concerned about her internal security. I'm a, a concerned about her eternal destination but it also broke my heart because who likes to be yelled at in front of other people? Who likes to experience hostility and anger from someone that you're trying to help, someone that you're trying to reach out to? And I, I, I was heartbroken, but God was gracious. And what I would love to tell you is that what happened is that student came back a few weeks later and said, Dr. Winter, I'm sorry, that was wrong. What does it mean to be a Christian? But that isn't what happened, at least not yet. I'm still praying for her. But what did happen was because another student saw that I responded with grace, which I'm gonna admit is not how I wanted to respond. I wanted to respond with, hey, this is my class. You do what I say, right? But God, God held my tongue. It was only the spirit of God. Because I responded with grace, another student came and had a conversation with me. And I firmly believe that as a result of that, that student is closer in his walk with Christ, closer in seeking Christ than he otherwise would have been. God can use our response to injustice, to persecution and hardship. And mine was small in comparison to what the Thessalonians were enduring. But he can use our response to draw people towards him. And we need to make sure as we respond to hardship and difficulty that we are doing so in light of eternity and we want God to be glorified in us Matthew 5, 16 says that others may see your good works, that when you respond with gratitude and graciousness, when you display God's goodness, others will see that and give glory to God in heaven. Your works can be the cause of somebody else rejoicing and praising God. And ladies, what an amazing opportunity and privilege that is that how we respond to those difficult situations that we know are temporary, how we respond, the words that we say, the attitudes that we have, that God can use those things to make a difference in someone's life for eternity. Amidst darkness and persecution, amidst hardship and affliction, our job is to shine brightly for the cause of Christ. When um, Stephanie asked me if I would preach on this topic and she told me what the topic was, she's like, hey, I wanted to know if you would speak on God's judgment. I started telling my husband that people were gonna start avoiding Bible study on the days that I preach. Because I, last topic, if you remember, last time I spoke, I taught on suffering. That was really feel good. Before that, it was sin and grief. And before that, trusting God with an unknown future. So I was like, Stephanie's like really trying to like Operation Crowd Reduction. She's trying to make sure that when I speak, people are avoiding coming to Bible study. And while I joked about that, and I think I made Stephanie feel bad on Tuesday, I, 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 it was really just a joke. Because in all honesty, I consider it such a privilege. I consider it a privilege anytime I get to open up the Word of God, but I consider it such a privilege that I get to dive into these hard and difficult topics because God does so much good work through our pain. God can accomplish so much by a right response to suffering and persecution. God uses those things to help us grow and mature in our faith. He uses those things to help make sure that our faith is secure and our temporal pain Can have eternal significance. And ladies, we also, as we're undergoing those persecution and hardships, we need to recognize that it is a privilege and an honor to do so for the sake of Christ. We need to realize that the stakes are high for us because our response can have eternal consequences and for those who watch us respond, that that our response can be the means of God bringing them closer into his kingdom. For those who don't rightly respond to God, this life is as good as it gets. Their prosperity now is the best they will ever experience. But those of us who are faithful Christ followers, we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal future that we can look forward to. And we need to keep trusting and depending upon him. We need to not be surprised by suffering but we needed to respond to it in such a way that we make a difference for the sake of eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the privilege that it is to even think, to study and understand the hardship and the persecution That the Thessalonians experienced, and that so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are currently experiencing. Father, I thank you that you strengthen their faith, and I ask, Lord, that as we undergo persecution and hardship, that you would do the same. Father, I ask for those who are currently undergoing affliction for the cause of Christ, that as they go into their small groups, that it would be a time of encouragement, that it would be a time of strengthening. And I ask for those who aren't currently experiencing it, that it would be a time of preparation, that they may be built up in order to withstand the hardship and persecution that you have promised, that you have said will happen to all those who name the name of Jesus. Father, help us to use our lives, every single aspect of it, to make a difference in eternity. Father, be with these ladies in their small groups. Father, I ask that it would be a a rich time of fellowship and discussion and of application in their lives. For the sake of your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.